0: Welcome to the Content Strategy Experts Podcast, brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. In episode 35, we talk about lightweight data and more with Dr. Carlos Avia and Michael Priestley. This is the first of two podcasts featuring these special guests. So, hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Gretel Kinsey, and as I mentioned, I've got two special guests with me today, Dr. Carlos Avia and Michael Priestley. So, why don't you both just go ahead and introduce yourselves? All right.
1: If we go in alphabetically, then that will be me. Hi, I'm Carlos Avia. I'm an Associate Professor of Communication at Virginia Tech.
2: And I'm Michael Priestley. Uh, So, uh, I work at IBM in the IBM Marketing and IBM Digital uh area supporting marketing systems and marketing organizations with uh uh content classification and uh content tagging systems. Uh but my background uh sort of that informs this call is also around content standards uh and uh, especially the DITA standard and the lightweight DITA uh variant of that. Uh and I was one of the original architects of DITA at IBM and the
1: Uh, co-editor of the DITA specifications for uh, 1.0 and 1.1 at Oasis. And what Michael and I have in common is that we co-chair the Lightweight DITA subcommittee with Oasis.
0: Fantastic. So, Michael, I'm going to put my first question to you, given that context you just gave us. Uh, For those of us in our audience who might not be familiar with DITA, what is DITA?
2: Wow. Okay. Uh, And yeah, this is the usual uh, caveat that... Asking the person who's sort of really close to something is not actually the best person to encapsulate it. But, <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, uh I, I like to think of it as it's a standard for, uh, content, uh, that allows it to be used across systems and reused across organizations and contexts. And, uh, there's, uh, sort of really sort of three parts to the standard there's the definition of chunks of content that are organized around, um, a, you know, a topic or a set of information that delivers a a sort of a cohesive point. So it's, it's not, when I say a chunk of content, I don't mean like a single paragraph or a single word. I mean, something more like uh, a meaningful title and the information that goes right underneath it. Maybe it's an article, maybe it's a, a help, help uh, topic. Uh, something more at that level, uh, sort of the unit of use that, a, that, a, that a, a user or a client would be looking for. And that that's sort of the one part of the standards. We standardized a way to mark up that content in a way that you can then publish it in different uh, media, like a PDF or a web page, uh, as well as reuse it in different contexts. Like, for example, the same, uh, you know, the same... Uh, explanation of a concept, or the same task might appear in a support context, in a troubleshooting context, uh, in the information set for several different products that share a common component, et cetera. So it's that idea of having components of content that you can reuse across contexts. That's sort of a, a key part of uh, sort of DITA's uh, sort of value. The the other two parts of the standard, in addition to that definition of the chunk is one, the definition of a, uh, a sort of contextual larger collection where you want to say, I want to collect these chunks together and create relationships between them. That was might be related links or link management, uh, might turn into the uh, uh, sort of the site map uh, for, a, uh, for a website or a microsite, uh, or it might become the table of contents in a PDF. Uh, the, and that, that's what we call in DITA a map. So now you've got these topics is what we call the chunks of content maps, which collect the content. And then sort of the third sort of angle on data is the fact that we can uh, create more specific types of content and maps. And so we might say, you know, we want to have task content and we want to make sure that task content always has a set of steps and always starts with a list of prerequisites, if anything. And you can have more specialized types of types. So you could say this is a this is a how we want to structure a task for uh, manufacturing uh, applications. This is how we want to structure a task for uh, you know developers. Uh, this is how we want to structure a task for um, uh, sort of end users of software. So you can you can have types and you can have types of types and sort of go as deep as you want and still have them work as part of this larger system and have the content be recognized uh, uh, sort of across different, uh, what would normally be considered silo barriers in an organization. So that's the sort of the key piece of, uh, so, those are the, so those are the three pillars of data, the, 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 the content, uh, the collections, and the ability to create more specific types within those. Uh, but the big, big value proposition for data on top of all of this, is that we are a standard and that means that if you invest in putting all of your content into a data enabled system you can take it out again and you can move it into another system and so that ability to switch systems and not be sort of stuck in your silo forever because of your you know because of your investment in content is that that's really what what makes something a useful standard.
0: Right and we've actually had uh, we've had a lot of people am- among our client base who we have about you know 80% or so of our clients are in XML and then within that about 80% of those are in data so they've definitely i think seen that value proposition that you talk about and that's kind of for a lot of them has been their way of getting out of you know, some of the limitations of being in silos or of being stuck in one single system or tool. It's kind of given them that flexibility that they've been looking for when they come up with a content strategy and say, here's what our goals are for our next steps. Great to hear. So then one other thing I want to distinguish is the difference between DITA and lightweight DITA. So I want to hear from both of you about sort of what Lightweight DITA is and how it's different from DITA.
1: I think one of the things that Michael was, was talking about with those uh, stages or steps that DITA allows is that the creation of topics, of chunks of information, the creation of maps that will organize and represent those topics into deliverables that human beings will understand and the expansion of those topics into specific units of content that organizations or individuals might need, like you mentioned, depends on XML, the extensible markup language. And for many years, XML has been in a very happy relationship with the field of technical communication, but there have been developments in other markup languages, and people might cringe when I say that markdown is a a markup language. But... HTML with HTML5 has developed some structuring capabilities quite similar to XML, and it's easier to use and easier to implement than XML. And like I mentioned also, Markdown is even easier to write than HTML5. And there are many uh, open source and commercial tools that combine HTML with Markdown and really make something that is robust enough that it can be compared to what you can accomplish with XML. So Lightweight data is a simpler version of the DITA standard that uses XML in a minimized version of all the available tags for structured content that DITA has. But it also represents a way to structure content, to create those chunks of information, to create those maps, and to customize the way in which people need to see those pieces of information in HTML5 and Markdown. Uh, the flavors of lightweight DITA are three in this initial release that we're planning. And are, they are xdata HDITA, and MDITA, which respectively correspond to XML, HTML5, and Markdown. And one of the good things about them is that they are compatible with each other. And that means that if you are in your, in your organization, you're writing content, you don't have to be 100% committed to writing everything, all of your chunks of information in XML. You can write some in XML, you can write some in HTML5, and you can write some in Markdown. And if you're following these rules of the like proposed like lightweight data standard, you can combine them and they can live together and they can be exported into information products that for the end user, they will look like they came from the same source.
2: And uh, if I can add, um, one of the sort of the drivers for uh, sort of creating lightweight data was really looking at where DITA as an existing standard was uh, was hitting resistance. So it's, you know, DITA, the, the, the full data standard is, is working great for the groups that have adopted it, and it's still getting adopted by new groups today. But where it was encountering resistance, uh, sort of there were two main reasons that we thought we could maybe address. One was uh, sort of there was a perception that even with, you know, sort of, even if you started simple in DITA, the, the the simple starting point was not simple enough. So could we make that starting point even simpler? Uh, and the second one was uh, sort of when you have groups who would consider DITA and they like the capabilities it brings, but they are really tied to an existing authoring format uh, and, and an existing tool stack around that format. And so we sort of said, well, maybe we can kill two birds with one stone here. If we simplify data to the point where it's an easier starting point, that also makes it easier to map across formats. And, uh, so that, that, that's sort of how we got to this, you know, three flavor, uh, one standard, uh, sort of implementation.
0: And both of you, as you I think mentioned a little earlier, have been really heavily involved in the development of lightweight data. So can you kind of just take us through that a little bit and talk about what that's been like?
1: Well, uh, Michael can talk more about this because he went to bed one night around uh, 2014 and woke up with you know he had a dream of lightweight data, and he started writing about it in uh, in a blog. And at the time, I was just a fan of DITA. I was just a user. And I, w- I had been teaching DITA in my in my classes here at Virginia Tech for a while, but I had never interacted with the standard or the development uh, side of the standard. And I have never really interacted with Michael other than liking some of the things that he was tweeting. So he wrote an initial blog post presenting, uh, I have an idea for Lightweight DITA. And he started going to conferences, and he, will, he, he was talking about lightweight data as the simplified version of data, which was still based on XML. And one day, he started talking about HTML5 as a way to represent lightweight data as well. And that's when I started working with him, and I said, let's just try to expand it and incorporate it into Markdown. And he created the lightweight data subcommittee with Oasis. and. I joined the subcommittee and I have been working with him for, for a few years now on this proposed new standard. Michael, what were you having for dinner before you had a dream about Like, Lightweight Dinner? What inspired it? Uh,
2: well, I will say that at least part of it was just the, uh, the challenges that I was facing within IBM. Uh, looking at, con- at that point I was uh, involved in sort of a, a very sort of cross silo role looking at enterprise content strategy. And uh, there were certainly some areas that were moving to data, and and, and and many that had already moved to data and were very happy with it. But there were others that just were not going to move, and it was because of those uh, attachments to existing formats. Uh, and and so I sort of I was struggling with that idea, like sort of you know my dream has always been that I wanted to get our internal ecosystem within IBM, our content ecosystem to support the end-to-end customer journey. So, you know, we've got content in marketing, we've got content in sales, we've got content in training and documentation and support, and they're all coming from different systems and they're all using different underlying formats. And it's hard to support a customer who is gonna be going through that life cycle of content if you keep having to switch silos and switch standards uh, from an authoring standpoint. And so I wanted to sort of remove a barrier to cross-silo collaboration internally by allowing content to have relationships and you know share common elements, share common classification schemes and so forth. Uh, and this format thing was a major blocker. Uh, and uh, um, so I thought, we gotta do something. And I, I, I'd been looking at HTML5 in particular and thought, you know, this, this article element that they've added to HTML5, is really a reasonable semantic mapper to a topic in Vita. And where can we go from there? And uh, and yeah, once Carlos reached out to me and said, hey, let's see how this works and let's start making it real and testing it and seeing what flies, uh, it really just started taking it off and making it sort of um, you know, less theoretical, like, hey, maybe this will work, and more, hey, this actually does work.
0: This concludes part one of our conversation with Dr. Carlos Avia and Michael Priestley. Stay tuned for part two. And for now, thank you for listening to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. For more information, visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for relevant links.